Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, Om Shanti and welcome to America Meditating Radio in collaboration with the next normal. I'm your host, Sister Dr. Jenna. It's my pure wish to see how these two worlds, India and the rest of the world, especially India and America, actually come together to share their gifts and their talents. So this particular program and show is all about bridging divides. It's about us being able to acknowledge and recognize what are your strengths and how can we work together to make the world a better place. We are delighted to welcome our very special guest, Anjana Natwani, and we're going to be diving into some of the incredible work that Anjana has been doing. Very often described by her peers as a pioneer and someone who has the courage and determination to follow her convictions. Anjana Natwani has held several senior leadership roles and managed large business units. Her work has received global recognition. She's also the recipient of several awards, most recent the Global Diversity Leadership Award, which was presented to her in 2017. But as a business and health psychologist, she's passionate that organizations create environments where people can thrive and optimize their potential. I love that. She's currently the director of Athena Learning Academy and a visiting lecturer at Hertfordshire Business School. As a two-time survivor of cancer, Angina is passionate about well-being and works as a coach and a yoga therapist with cancer patients and thrivers. She has also authored many publications and writes regularly for Yes to Life, Thrive Global, and India, Inc. She recently qualified in the Ayurveda and Mindfulness and is a member of the Complementary Medical Association. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Angina Natwani. Angina, I can't wait to prying into your beautiful mind and telling us about who and what you've been up to. Welcome. Thank you, Sister Jenna. It's your pleasure to be this afternoon and your morning. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the Athena Learning Academy. What was the vision and what's the mission of it? Yeah, Athena... The Learning Academy pieces, because I'm a lifelong learner and I'm passionate that people learn at every phase of their life, hence the Learning Academy. Athena, I think it sounds quite similar to Anjana, and a lot of people have been calling me wise, so I thought Athena, you know, the Greek goddess of wisdom, and yes, over the past 10 years, I've taken several journeys with the company. It's not so much the name now, so I'm at another interlude now. I just updated my LinkedIn. I was on a call yesterday and I'll talk about it. Participating in a happy thorn. So it's a twenty four hour journey 
which we're all planning with Happy Jude, who are based out of India. And we came up with a term called coachpreneur, you know. <laughs> so very much the vision is what you said, you know, optimizing people's potential in whatever aspect of their life. They may be homemakers, they may be career people, they may be young people in schools or in colleges. You know, at home, my window cleaner has never stopped learning. I've known him for two years and every month he comes. He's either reading a new book, he's taken on a new hobby. You know, that passion for living. I love people like that. They're very rare, but they are out there. And you really want to be friends with folks like that because they're always open to something new and developing themselves. I call them the givers of a society, not the takers of a society. So spirituality has been a really big thing for you. Would you say that you were just wired that way or has an event taken place in your life? Like a lot of people have often told me, did something happen to you that you became a Brahma Kumari? And I'm like, no, nothing happened to me. <laughs> Why I became a Brahma Kumari, I'm actually just awakened and I'm just making effort to stay awake. What was the reason behind your interest in spirituality? Yeah, my mother said I was born this way in many ways. But my mother actually was very spiritually inclined and so I was brought up with spiritual values, and I'm so grateful to be so blessed with having connects with spiritual masters, people like yourself, people who are awakened, enlightened, who just want better lives for themselves and better lives for humanity at large. So as a one-year-old, I came across my guru, Swami Satyamitranandji, He's founder of Bharat Mata Temple and he's very international. He's traveled the world. He's no more in his body. So he was the instigator. But then at some point he said, I don't think I'm enough for you. And when I was 14, a school friend introduced me to the activities of the local Satya Sai Center. And so I got into a lot of youth work and working with children, and that's when I came across Brahma Kumaris. You know, a friend of mine used to send the children to the Sunday classes I used to take, and the classes were all about young people growing up with different value systems and how to reconcile them. And so a very good friend of mine, and I used to go and babysit for her because she was a nurse, and, you know, she had night duties, so as a 16-year-old. I used to, and that's how I got into the Brahmakumari meditation system. And yeah, then as life took me in different directions to university, to working in London, I just got into meditations and studying the Bhagavad Gita, studying Sikhism because I had a lot of Sikh friends. So I think, in a way, spirituality found me, Sister Jenna. Often that happens, though, when it's like you're in your own head doing what you think is your own way. And then just as you're going through life, different scenes and different people show up and you don't even know it, but it's leading you to looking at the world from a much larger perspective. 
I always feel like when someone comes into their spirituality, the world just opens up to them. They're just not in a very narrow point of view. They're not very limited. They just see things from a vast perspective. What if somebody were to actually ask you what is mindfulness? Because a lot of people sometimes confuse mindfulness to meditation. It's definitely not another category of a religion anymore. It's become so mainstream. But what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, mindfulness has been a journey for me. And I was very much influenced by the work of Dr. Wayne Dyer during my first cancer and that's when I came across John Kabat-Zinn, you know, who sort of put mindfulness on the map globally. So during this lockdown, I decided to study mindfulness both academically and through Happitude. So I'm going to mention Praveen Chaturvedi. He calls himself my fellow practitioner, but he actually helped me to see mindfulness as an active state of being. And so mindfulness is all about awareness, all about appreciation, about acknowledgement, and about the present moment focus. So as a cancer thriver, I think mindfulness gave me that awareness of being in tune with my own body, being in tune with my own mind. And it's really helped. So even now, I find it's helped me to change my habits towards feeling good, towards feeling healthy, you know, towards feeling zest for life. Getting that wake-up feeling, you know, like you're here to live. You're not here to just pass through life as if it wasn't of any great significance. You know, you're a two-time cancer thriver. and Do you recall the first time it was a diagnosis? And just in essence, do you remember the state of mind you were in? And what was different the second time around? And how has all of that changed you? Yeah, the first time, I remember going to my GP and, you know, it was uterine cancer. And I was in my early 40s. And this is where you say spirituality just takes over and... I just went through that process. It's like I have to go to the consultant on my own. And so it gave me confidence. Second time round, I was more serious. And my mum was that much older. And I looked ill and the impact on the family. But yet there was that knowing that I'll be fine. And both times I was really lucky to have consultants who said, it's our job to make you well. Do you want to get well? So during the second cancer, I meditated a lot. And, you know, I believe in the power of Hanuman Jalisa. It gives me a lot of strength. <laughs> Mine too. And so it was a colon cancer. You know, after I came around two days later, Mr. Miller, my consultant, said, You know, you kept chanting that whilst we put you out for 10 minutes. And, you know, when people tell you these things who don't know much about you, I just think people call it higher powers or mystical beings. But we are looked after. We're looked after. And it reminded me of Stephen Hawking, who used to be my client. 
And during my first cancer, he was actually my client then. And, uh, you know, I had to tell him that I'm going to be off for a while. And he shared something with me. He said, you know, I write about the black hole and I'm a scientist. And so some things in life nobody can explain. <laughs> you just got to believe them. It's interesting how trauma or something tragic has this beautiful gift of waking us up and redirecting us in another direction. Have you noticed? It's like we think we're in charge, everything is going great, or, you know, we have a little bit of a complaint here or there. But then something like cancer or the loss of a loved one or the loss of finance or whatever, it just hits a place in the consciousness and just says, you need to look over here. You need Mm -hmm. to see this. I've been trying to show you for a long time, but you're not seeing it. Please see it. And something changes. (laughs) Something I learned from Daddy Janky, who's my spiritual mentor. There are two ways you learn, either through love or through tragedy. And that has stayed so deep in me. And I talk to God and says, please, I just want to learn through love. I don't want things to be hard, you know, for me to have to figure out who I really am. I just want to learn through love, you know. And so it's interesting, as Stephen Hawkins told you, that If everything is so mysterious, there are certain things you just can't discern and you can't decode it. And that's fine. I think that's fine. Let's leave a few mysteries to God so that at least he left some work to do. (laughs) So as we look at an article that you wrote in Thrive Global, it was on a research of 500 conversations you had with senior leaders. You had talked about this thing of nine pathways, right, that could help towards their spiritual well-being. Do you think it would be possible for you to share a few of those or actually what came out of that research? Yeah. It's interesting because I'm a business psychologist. So, you know, when you're working with leaders, you talk business and they look at you and they think, oh, there's something mysterious about you. Can we talk about life? And so one of the pathways I remember from the research coming up was about, you know, that inner being and the connect with mindfulness for me is we're always so influenced by what's going on outside that in that we lose what we are thinking, what we are feeling, what our values are. You know, we get into that reaction mode or resistance mode. Particularly the past 18 months, the language of resilience comes into conversations a lot, doesn't it? And what does resilience mean? I think resilience means we have that repertoire in our being, you know, so we can use our energies, emotions, feelings wisely. And that's coming up a lot in my work with leaders. And I'm about to start on, uh, you know, this word happiness. What, how do people actually talk about happiness? Is it about the next new car or is it about the next new laptop? I was talking to my neighbor and she was saying they're buying a new home. She said, I have no reason to buy a new home, but I'm just buying it. And she'll say three months down the line, I know that the new home will be a home. <laughs> it's not a new home. So... My research very much focused on that, really, because people tend to think contentment is complacency, but I don't think it is. You know, contentment means we come from a position of gratitude, grace, acceptance. And, you know, 
from the 500 leaders, 350 of them had some kind of a medical condition. And very often it's why me, you're fighting. But once we accept, so even now I did quite a lot of work with corona patients last year and some of them were very chronically ill. But once that acceptance came, it was quite easy to move on to looking at what's the best course of treatment, what alternative therapies do I need to do, do I need to meditate more? So the research actually opened doors for people, you know, it got them thinking. I was just asking them three questions. How do you know when you're content? What is it like to be in a constant state of flux, you know, in the sense you're running and running and running? You know, I got them to jot that down over a period of two weeks, and they saw the patterns, really, and how disturbing it was. And the third thing, really, was what is the one thing you can change, and can you implement that for 21 days? And it was amazing. You know, people either stopped eating something, drinking less coffee, or just turning their cell phone off for one hour at night anything, they they chose it. And it was quite significant. So sometimes we just have to create comfort levels around self-inquiry. I don't think there is a magic pill, is there, Sister Jenna? Otherwise, we would all be running to the pharmacy. And, you know, it has to do with that magic thought, you know, if we can just grab onto that very strong thought to transform the way we see the world, it'll be amazing. You know, you've got so much experience in diversity and inclusion, and we're witnessing in the world a sort of a dismantling of maybe systems that have supported separation and racism. What do you think is needed for us now in this particular time, in this generation, to bring us back together, to create more inclusivity and to somehow just allow people to be themselves in which they're just different. What do you think would be the tool or a method or a solution? I was talking to a friend the weekend and I just sort of said, spent so many years supporting writing legislation and yet we hear what we hear at this day and age. And we recently had a report here from the Prime Minister's office that said systemic racism is a myth or something like that. And you think, no. Over the past year, I sort of helped an organization called the Center for Talent Innovation. The word is belongingness. And I think belongingness is a human touch. So I was just thinking about it this morning, I want to think the human organization comes to mind, Sister Jenna, you know, beyond this visible exterior, what is within us is very similar in many ways. I mean, we all want peace. We all want compassion. We all want the best for our families. We all want a good standard of living. We all want to feel healthy. So there is more that unites us than there is diverse about us. And I don't think changing attitudes is a temporary thing. What we need to change is how people feel about humanity at large, you know. 
And so that's where Malala or the young lady who's talking about the climate change, I think they are our stalwarts, really. You know, they're getting us to think that there is a bigger issue here and we don't need another George Floyd scenario. But it's everywhere it just seems to have escalated. You know, you hear about the spa incident with the Asian ladies and you think, what is making people behave like this? And this is where I think mindfulness, meditations, they have to be an essential part of And I really think it's important for it to become more mainstream now. And mm. not like a fad, but as a solution. Mm. You know, what, you but, know? but I've watched like mainstream media or the news. If they do that, then they're going to lose people. <laughs> Because they've addicted people to all the Maya and all the body conscious vibrations that come. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do we impact them? And I think maybe until they get personally touched by some of these events that they're supporting and taking care of, there might be a turnaround. It has to be from the top, but we can't wait for them. We still have to start the process on our own. And I do believe that that's definitely taking place. We're coming to a close, and I don't want to end without talking about the two book proposals that you're up to, and I wanted the audience to actually get an idea of them and what they entail, and when are they coming out? Hopefully within the next year and a half. I was busy caring for my mom, so... Yeah, one is on Maitri power, you know? Maitri meaning female, feminine, motherly. And I was inspired by Vandana Shiva, you know, the activist in India on the environment and organic. So looking at how women have influenced. So women as influencers is a big passion of mine. You know, I think we're talking about women as this helpless being or somebody who's always attacked. Or So I just want to talk about, because there are many women who are influenced, right? And uh, so that's one. And the second one is based on my cancer journeys. And I've done quite a lot of work with Robert Holden on Life Loves Me. Louise Hay has been my inspiration. So it's living the life you want, really, or creating the life you want. Beautiful. Um, and Jenna, what would you say is your biggest realization of this particular time in your life? My biggest realization is focus on a life that feels as though it's blossoming every day, like a fresh flower blossoms. There is a freshness in life, and life is a gift, really. And that's the essence of my book. Most people have had some kind of a trauma. But, you know, my realization is it's how much value we put on something. That makes it either a big trauma, a small trauma, or a huge amount of joy, like an inflated balloon, and then you poke it and it just goes boom. So it's all about a perspective, which is do the best you can and then move on. So I've come to a point where, you know, the realization is the big things or the big traumas or the big joys. That was then, so what is now? And not get overtly disturbed or overtly excited. Like in this sort of a 
neutral state of being present and trusting and allowing that your destiny is already preordained so you're not going to take anything that's going on with you or through you personally. But also the fact that your mother has transitioned, sometimes that also leaves a hole and it kind of invites you to start to also think a little bit about just the way you're living and remembering the gifts that were imparted on you too. So there's a lot going on for so many of us. And yeah, it's all good. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying, I just want to be because I get calls now and, you know, you can go traveling when it opens up. And, you know, I wasn't going to speak at my mom's funeral, but the priest said, oh, please say a few words. And I went to the podium and I just smiled and everybody's saying you're smiling at a funeral. And so I said I was celebrating being my mother's child and now I'm celebrating her life. I mean, if you look at my mom's life, people think, gosh, she went through a lot. But she never complained, really. You know, she just took it in a stride. And recently I did a workshop with people and then I followed up for seven days. And all I said was count the number of smiles and people saying, well, pandemic, you know, we hear of people dying. How can you smile? But they were smiling and the feedback I got was it's irrelevant to the context. A smile is a smile, you know, and it somehow creates an equilibrium because, you know, you just release everything, don't you, from the face. There's a lot. A smile says a lot. <laughs> Look at Mona Lisa's yeah. portrait. <laughs> People are still trying to decode what it is. Listen, Angela Natwani, you've been amazing in having you with us today. We can definitely feel your gentle heart and gentle presence and the way you must be unfolding consistently in life in a very genuine and authentic way. And that's definitely a blessing for our humanity now. So thank you so, so much for being with us. Are there any other final words or thoughts you'd like to share before we bid goodbye? Thank you, Sister Jenna, for having me. All I'm saying is Humanity just needs a lot of compassion, grace, and gratitude at this point. And let's work towards that unity and diversity. I just feel we need that. Thank you so much. (laughs) You have a wonderful day ahead and time ahead. May you continue to inspire everyone on this journey. Thank you. Namaste. Your blessing. Well, that wraps up another segment, and I hope you've all enjoyed my conversation with Anjana Natwani, who is doing a lot of beautiful things in the world. And we didn't even touch on even half of it in today's conversation. If you felt the energy today, you could feel it was just really a heart-to-heart, very open and genuine expression between two people, sharing with them their stories. Hopefully, today's conversation helped us to become a one humanity. Drop us a direct message if you'd like on the epilogue or America Meditating Radio. And if you have any particular guest or questions that you might have or topics that you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at americameditating at gmail.com or at info at americameditating.org. I hope I didn't confuse you. Anyway, have a wonderful day and thanks again for joining us. Be well. When I was asked by Sacred Stories Publishing to write a book on mystical divine experiences, initially I said, no, those are too private. But then when they came back again to urge me to do it, I said, why not? It'll be of service because 
over 25 co-authors would have would be joining me on this journey to share their own experiences in meditation intimate experiences with the divine through contemplating practices you will read stories from our co-authors of a heartfelt clarity about a father's death giving his son a new life you will hear the story of a woman embracing her wounded inner child and healing herself you will even hear stories about an inexplicable medical miracle and so much more this book has a life of its own you will learn how listening to your inner silence can help you overcome life obstacles and reclaim your spiritual power i hope that you'll be able to dive deep into this and maybe even explore your own mystical and divine experiences for your life to change for your life to become one that is completely full and rich of everything good enjoy and thank you for looking into meditation intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices restaurant wishes you happy holidays located at 6838 Piedmont in Gainesville Virginia we're a family-owned restaurant and offer authentic Asian cuisine and sushi come savor our delicacies made with love and enjoy the perfect ambiance we look forward to seeing you there I'm sister Jenna you've been listening to America meditating podcast You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.